Today then we arrive at chapter 144, which is Adhkaru Tashahud. The Adhkar that are done in the Tashahud part of the prayer, in the sitting, the Tashahud. Inna min al-adhkar al-muta'alliqah bil-salah adhkar al-tashahud. Or adhkar al-tashahud. So from the supplications that are connected to the prayer are the supplications and the remembrance that is done in the tashahud, in the sitting of the prayer. وَقَدْ ثَبَتَ فِيهِ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ أَحَدِيثُ عِدَّهِ فِيهَا صِيَغٌ مُتَقَارِبَةٌ للتشهد. And regarding the tashahud, there are multiple ahadith. There are multiple ahadith that have similar forms mentioned within them. Similar wordings of the tashahud mentioned within them. وَكُلُّهَا جَائِزَةٌ وَمَشْرُوعَةٌ And all of those forms are permissible and legislated. مِنْهَا مَا ثَبَتَ فِي صَحِيحِ مُسْلِمٍ مِنْ حَدِيثِ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَبَّاسِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا أَنَّهُ قَالَ So from among them, is the narration in Sahih Muslim from the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma that he said Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yuallimuna at-tashahuda kama yuallimuna surata min al-Qur'an He said that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to teach us the tashahud just as he used to teach us a surah from the Qur'an. فَكَانَ يَقُولُ And so he used to say, التَّحِيَّاتُ الْمُبَارَكَاتُ الطَّيِّبَاتُ لِلَّهِ السلام عليك أيها النبي ورحمة الله وبركاته Assalamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan rasulullah. That is one wording of it. Another one which is in al-Bukhari and Muslim fi sahihain an Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu qal كنا إذا صلينا خلف النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قلنا 
that when we used to pray behind the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we used to say, As-salamu ala Jibreel wa Mikael, As-salamu ala fulan wa fulan, Faltafata ilayna, Faltafata ilayna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Faqal, they said when we used to pray behind the messenger, we used to say, As-salam upon Jibreel and upon Mikael, and the salam upon so-and-so and so-and-so. So the messenger turned around and said to us, Inna Allah ta'ala huwa as-salam. Fa'idha salla ahadukum falyaqul, Mar Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is as-salam. <coughs> he is as-salam. And so when one of you prays, then he should say, At-tahiyyatu lillah. Ah, he should say, Inna Allah ta'ala huwa as-salam. Fa'idha salla ahaduhum falyaqul. That Allah is as-salam, so that when one of you prays, you should say, At-tahiyyatu lillah, wa-salawatu wa-tayyibat. As-salamu alayka ayyuhal nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As-salamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin. Fa-innakum idha qultumuha asabat kulla abdin salihin fi s-samai wal-ard. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah. وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله. There is another version there. التحيات لله والصلوات والطيبات السلام عليك أي النبي ورحمة الله وبركاته والسلام علينا وعلى عباد الله الصالحين. And then also ثبت في هذا أحاديث أخرى. There are other narrations as well. Now talk about the tashahhud and wordings of the tashahhud. وَأَكْمَلُ هَذِهِ الصِّيَغُ وَهَذِهِ الصِّيَغِ الصِّيغَةُ الْوَارِدَةُ فِي حَدِيثِ ابْنِ مَسْعُودِ And the most perfect and complete of all of these wordings, all of these forms, is the one that is mentioned previously there, in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, فَهِيَ أَكْمَلُ مِنَ الصِّيغَةِ الْوَارِدَةِ فِي حَدِيثِ ابْنِ عَبَّاسِ وَغَيْرِهِ مِنَ الْحَدِيثِ الْوَارِدَةِ فِي هَذَا الْبَابِ So he says the version of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, that version is more complete, more rounded, than the version of Ibn Abbas up above, the first one that we read, and all the other versions that exist as well. There are other wordings and other narrations, but the best of them all, the most complete of them all, is this version of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. At-tahiyyatu lillahi wa salawatu wa tayyibatu wa salamu alayka ayyuhal nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As-salamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin. Wa nashahadu la ilaha illallah wa shahadu anna muhammad al-habdu wa rasooluh. Wa thalika kama yaqoolu ibn al-qayyim rahimahullah. And 
Regarding that, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala said, لِأَنَّ تَشَهُدَ بْنِ مَسْعُودٍ يَتَضَمَّنُ جُمَلًا مُتَغَايِرًا And that is because the tashahud of Ibn Mas'ud incorporates varying sentences. وَتَشَهُدِ بْنِ عَبَّاسِ جُمْلَ وَاحِدًا Whereas the tashahud of Ibn Abbas is just one phrase, one sentence. فَتَكُونُ كُلُّ جُمْلَةٍ فِي حَدِيثِ بْنِ مَسْعُودِ ثَنَاءً مُسْتَقِلًّا لِوُجُودِ الْوَاوِ So in the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud, every sentence is considered an independent form of praise upon Allah, which is split up with the wow in between them. At-tahiyyatu lillah, wa-salawatu, wa-tayyibatu. All of these wows in there, it means that each portion is considered an independent praise upon Allah. Whereas in the version of Ibn Abbas, in that version, it was all together as one phrase, At-Tahiyyatul Mubarakatu Tayyibatu Lillah. That was all one phrase. Whereas in the version of Ibn Mas'ud, it is split up. At-Tahiyyatu Lillahi Wa-Salawatu Wa-Tayyibatu and that wow in between makes them like independent sentences. And so they are all independent forms of praise upon Allah. So because in the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud, there are distinct phrases and sentences... So that is clear and more complete in its praise of Allah compared to the narration of Ibn Abbas that is only one flowing statement, one flowing sentence. And so Ibn Qayyim mentions فَتَكُونُ كُلُّ جُمْلَةٍ فِي حَدِيثِ ابْنِ مَسْعُودٍ ثَنَاءً مُسْتَقِلًّا لِوُجُودِ الْوَاوِي فِي قَوْلِهِ التَّحِيَّاتُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَوَاتُ وَالطَّيِّبَاتُ بخلاف ما إذا حذفت أو حذفت فإنها تكون صفة لما قبلها فتعدد الثناء في حديث ابن مسعود صريح فهو أولى وأكمل So the fact that there is multiple forms of praise upon Allah in the version of Ibn Mas'ud that makes it more complete than the version of Ibn Abbas and the other versions. ثم إنه هو المشهور بين كثير من أهل العلم. And this version of Ibn Mas'ud, that is the one that is popular and widespread amongst the people of knowledge. ومن حيث الإسناد هو أصح أصح ما ورد في هذا الباب. And in terms of the chains of narration, the version of Ibn Mas'ud is more authentic as well. Has a stronger chain of narration on it. يقول الترمذي رحمه الله الإمام الترمذي رحمه الله تعالى said 
حديث ابن مسعود قد روي عنه من غير وجه The version of Ibn Mas'ud has been narrated from him from multiple chains. وَهُوَ أَصَحُّ حَدِيثٍ رُوِيَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ فِي التَّشَهُدِ And it is the most authentic narration that has been narrated from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم regarding the tashahhud wala amal alayhi inda akthar ahli alilm min ashab an-nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam wa man ba'dahu min at-tabi'in and that narration of ibn mas'ud that is the version that is implemented by the majority of the people of knowledge from the companions themselves and then those who came after them from the tabi'in Majority of them implemented that version of Ibn Mas'ud. وَعَلَى كُلٍ فَإِنَّ الْعَمَلَ بِهِ أَوْ بِغَيْرِهِ مِنَ التَّشَهُّدَاتِ الْوَارِدَةِ كُلُّ ذَلِكَ حَقٌ وَسَائِغٌ Nevertheless, nevertheless, Utilizing any one of the forms that are mentioned, whether it is the wording of Ibn Mas'ud or the wording of Ibn Abbas or other versions we haven't mentioned here, any of the authentic versions, they are all authentic, using any of them is all haq, all of that is truth, they are all authentic versions and wordings from the messenger, and all of that is sa'ir, meaning permissible. So you can use any version from the authentic versions that exist of the wordings for the tashahud. But the wording of Ibn Mas'ud is the most comprehensive and most praise is within it. So what does it mean in the tashahud when you say At-Tahiyyatu Lillahi wa Salawatu wa Tayyibatu? What does that actually mean? At-Tahiyyatu جمع تحية والمراد التعظيمات بكافة صياغها وجميع هيئاتها من ركوع وسجود وذل وخضوع وخشوع وانكسار كل ذلك لله وحده لا شريك له وهي له سبحانه ملكا واستحقاقا when you say At-Tahiyyatu Lillahi wa Salawatu At-Tahiyyatu That first word At-Tahiyyatu That word It has the meaning of At-Ta'zimat That all of the greatness All of the, the, the forms of praise All of the different forms of praise All of that greatness is for Allah whether it be when you are in ruku' whether it be when you are in prostration whether it be your submission to Allah your humility before Allah that you are in a state of poverty before your lord all of the different forms of your submission to him all of the different postures 
in bowing, in prostrating, every form of that praise of Allah and that indication of the greatness of Allah, the might of Allah, the majesty of Allah, all of that is for Allah. At-tahiyyatu. All of that is deserving to Allah. All of that is the control of Allah and deserving of Allah. Every form of that greatness, every form of your submission and obedience, that is at-tahiyyatu lillah. Then, was-salawatu. Tahiyyatu lillahi was-salawatu. As-salawatu. They may say in English, the prayers. قِيلْ الْمُرَادُ بِهِ الصَّلَاةُ الشَّرْعِيَّةُ ذَات الرُّكُوعُ وَالسُّجُودُ One opinion is that the meaning of الصَّلَوَاتِ are for Allah, the prayers are for Allah, is the actual prayers. Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha, your prayers that you pray. That you are affirming and emphasizing that all your prayers are for Allah. As-salawat. That is one opinion. That is what some of them have said. Another opinion is that the salawat is in reference to dua. Because linguistically speaking, linguistically speaking, the word as-salah comes from the meaning of ad-du'a. Linguistically, that is what as-salah means, ad-du'a. So they say it is general to all du'a. Was-salawatu, meaning all of the supplications, du'a, invocations. They are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَإِنَّ مَعْنَ الصَّلَاةِ لُغَةً الدُّعَاءِ وَكُلُّ ذَلِكَ لِلَّهِ فَالصَّلَاةُ كُلُّهَا لِلَّهِ فَلَا يُصْرَفُ شَيْءٌ مِّنْهَا لِغَيْرِهِ وَالدُّعَاءُ لِلَّهِ فَلَا يُصْرَفُ شَيْءٌ مِّنْهُ لِأَحَدٍ سِوَاهِ So all of your du'as, all of your invocations, your supplications, they are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it is impermissible to give that to anyone else besides Allah to call upon anyone else besides Allah. So, as-salawat, at-tahiyyatu lillahi was-salawat, as-salawat could be your actual prayers, or it could be generally all of your dua and supplication and invocation, that all of this is purely for Allah, and not to be directed to anyone besides Allah. تَحِيَّةُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَوَاتُ وَالطَّيِّبَاتِ That's the next one. وَالطَّيِّبَاتِ جَمْعُ طَيِّبَةِ It is the plural of الطَّيِّبَةِ وَالْمُرَادَ And the meaning of الطَّيِّبَاتِ Being for Allah. الْأَقْوَالِ الطَّيِّبَاتِ وَالْأَعْمَالِ الطَّيِّبَاتِ كَلُّهَا لِلَّهِ يتقرب بها إليه ولا يتقرب بشيء منها لأحد سواه فهو سبحانه يتقرب إليه بكل طيب من قول أو فعل So the meaning of الطيبات 
Plural of Tayyibah is all of the good statements and actions. All of your good statements and actions, they are for Allah. Your good statements and your good actions, your good deeds, all of those are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you seek closeness to Allah via those good statements and good actions. And you do not seek closeness to anyone else besides Allah with those good statements and good deeds. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you seek closeness to Him with every action and statement of goodness. And that is what the tayyibat are. <clears throat> so we have at-tahiyyatu lillahi wa-salawatu wa-tayyibatu. And then as-salamu alayka ayyuhan nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. هذا دعاء للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بالسلام والرحمة والبركة والذي يدعى له لا يدعى مع الله That there is you sending your greetings and uh, making dua for the messenger asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give safety safety and mercy and blessing upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As-salamu and rahmatullah and barakatuhu. The salam, the safety and security, the peace upon the messenger. Wa rahmatullah and the mercy of Allah. Wa barakatuhu and the blessings of Allah. You're asking, you're making dua for all of those things to be bestowed upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So you are making dua for the messenger. That is not dua to him, you are making the dua to Allah for the messenger. Asking Allah to bestow upon the messenger these affairs. And then straight after that, As-salamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin And the salam, the safety, the peace be upon us and all of Allah's righteous servants. Upon us and upon all of Allah's righteous servants. Fihi du'a lil-nafs wa li'umum al-mu'minina بِالسَّلَامَةِ مِنْ كُلِّ آفَةِ وَعَيْبِ وَنَقْصِ وَصُوءِ وَهُوَ مِنْ جَوَامِعِ كَلِمِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمِ So here, As-salamu alayna wa ala ibadi Allahi al-salihin The salam be upon us, the safety and soundness be upon us. Safety and soundness from every calamity, from every shortcoming, every deficiency, every evil. In kulli afatin wa aibin wa naqsin wa su'in. 
You are asking Allah to protect you and keep you safe and sound from every calamity and deficiency and shortcoming and evil. And so that line, that short phrase, As-salamu alayna wa ala ibadillah salihin, that is from the comprehensive statements of the messenger. The jawami'ul kalim. The jawami'ul kalim, meaning that the messenger would say just a few words, and the meanings of them were tremendous and great. He was given jawami'ul kalim. He had that ability to speak with just a few words, yet those few words had within them tremendous meanings and comprehension and understandings. That's the meaning of the messenger having jawami'ul kalim. And that's why they used to say, they used to say, khayrul kalam ma qalla wa Dalla. The best of speech is that which is short, precise, but it gives you the meanings. The best of speech is that which is concise, in other words. It is short and to the point and gives you everything you need, gives you the meanings. And they used to say as well, the scholars, um, that the kalam of the salaf, when the salaf used to speak, they used to speak with minimal speech. Yet the understanding, comprehension, meanings, fiqh, ahkam, rulings that were derived from that were great. Meaning the salaf didn't used to waste their time sitting there discussing something for an hour for example, when they could explain all of that to you in five minutes or ten minutes, they would explain it in a very concise way. That's what they are trying to say. The scholars, they say, the salaf were very concise, precise. They spoke only a little, but the meanings of what they said were great. Whereas those who came after the salaf, they speak with a... Tremendous and great amount of speech, and yet all of that tremendous and great amount of speech only has a tiny benefit in it. This is what the scholars mention. The Salaf spoke with a small amount of speech with great benefit. Those who came after them speak with a great amount of speech with only a small benefit in it. That's the other way it goes round. That's the difference, as the scholars say, between the predecessors and those who came after them. The Salaf spoke with little speech, with great meanings and fiqh in that. Those who came afterwards, they talk and talk and talk with a great amount of speech, and yet out of all of that you only get a small amount of benefit. That is the difference between the Salaf, the great imams of the past, the ulama, compared to the later speakers, those who come in the later times. And we even used to hear this kind of things from our scholars in Medina. On one occasion, we were with a Sheikh Abdullah al-Bukhari, Hafizahullah ta'ala, 
And we mentioned to him that we were attending the lessons of one of the teachers in Medina, known. And he said to us, instead of going to this particular teacher, he is known, instead of going to him in Medina, you should just listen to the cassettes of Sheikh Muhammad Aman al-Jami in terms of aqidah, because we were going to these particular classes of this particular teacher in aqidah. He said, instead of that, you should listen to Sheikh Muhammad Aman al-Jami for aqidah, because he is precise in how he explains it. Precise in how he explains it. As for these people now, and this particular teacher is from those who was refuted afterwards for errors and mistakes. He said, as for these people these days, they speak and speak and speak and talk and talk in aqidah and you barely even get any benefit from them and understanding from them. Because they don't have the ability. He was saying that they don't have the ability to explain aqidah properly. They don't understand it properly. They can't explain it properly. They talk and talk and talk and go into this issue and that issue and around and about and in circles and you're barely even getting any proper understanding of that point. What was this chapter? What was the point? He said, forget that. Go listen to Sheikh Muhammad Aman al-Jami and you'll see how precisely he explains things because of his level in that affair. How precisely he will show you and explain to you these points and these issues and topics. Whereas these people, he said, they talk and talk and talk and you barely get anything out of it. So that is the difference. Between the one who is an alim, the one who is an alim, a scholar, grounded in aqidah or whatever topic it may be, grounded and firmly established in that affair, compared to those who think they are. And they talk and talk and go round and round in circles and you may end up with hours and hours of lectures whereas you go to the likes of a Sheikh Muhammad Aman and within one hour he'll explain all of those points to you. So Sheikh Abdullah said that to us one time and it's the same point as was being made in regards to the Jawami'ul Kalim that the Prophet ﷺ used to speak with very few words but the meanings were tremendous and great. And that is something important to bear in mind because the scholars as we mentioned they have said these days Many people they talk and talk and talk and talk and they can talk without stopping forever. They can talk and talk for days and weeks and months. Especially these days now with all of the platforms that are available. A person can open up his YouTube channel, open up a podcast and whatever these things are. And he can sit there on a daily basis talking and talking and talking. YouTube videos and YouTube videos and YouTube videos and other platforms, whatever the platforms are, Facebook, and you can talk and talk and talk. And it may well end up wasting a great deal of time for a person following that and reading all of that. That's why we mentioned in the first volume of this book, we came across that dua when the messenger used to make dua, asking Allah for not just knowledge, but what type of knowledge? Exactly. Allah said in the Quran, 
قل رب زدني علما Allah commanded the messenger to make dua for knowledge for an increase in knowledge telling him say O Muhammad my lord increase me in knowledge but what type of knowledge the messenger used to make dua to be blessed with al-ilm al-nafi' and what is that how do you define what al-ilm al-nafi' is how can you distinguish how can you say this book is ilm nafi' this one is not this uh, youtube video is ilm nafi' this one is not this article is nafi' this one is not this speaker is nafi' this how can you distinguish the the basic method of distinguishing is what is it that is going to bring you closer to Allah is going to bring you closer to Allah in your worship in your obedience bring you closer to that paradise of Allah to the pleasure of Allah that's ilm nafi as for affairs that do not bring you closer to Allah do not give you any more subservience any more uh, obedience to Allah, any more submission to Allah, it is just general knowledge of whatever the affair is. And that isn't ilm nafi'. There are many things in fact which are known as ilm, which yadhur, knowledge that harms you, does not benefit you. This is all mentioned in the books of the scholars when they talk about knowledge. As Shaykh Al-Athameen talked about it a lot. There are types of knowledge, not only are they not really beneficial, they are actually harmful. Ilm which yadur, which harms a person. And that is of course the knowledge which ends up uh, perhaps distracting you away from the knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah or maybe uh, bringing about ideas to you that contradict or go against the Qur'an and the Sunnah or taking you down a pathway that a believer should not be going down towards that is harmful knowledge then to have those affairs. And that's why often you hear, you see it, when the scholars are asked questions, sometimes some of those questions, the scholars recognize that this is not ilm nafi'ah. That the question that they are being asked, it doesn't have any beneficial knowledge in it. Me giving the answer to that question isn't beneficial knowledge to this person. Sometimes they recognize that this question the person is asking, it is not a beneficial question. The knowledge of this, if I give him an answer to it, isn't ilm nafi'ah. So then what do the scholars do? You hear it all the time? They answer those questions by telling them, by telling them straight out, that this is not something that you need to be worried about or putting your time into. This is not something that is of benefit to you. How often do you hear it when you look at the fatwas and recordings of scholars? They'll say, this doesn't matter. Why are you bothered about this? Why are you wasting your time on this? Why are you asking about this? Because they recognize that question isn't ilm nafi'ah. What's the point of you asking me that? How is that going to get you closer to Allah knowing the answer to this question? So a person should think, this book, this lecture, this YouTube, whatever it is, what you're spending your time on, is this ilm nafi'ah? Is it beneficial knowledge? Meaning, is it knowledge that is going to get me closer to Allah? I read this whole book, is this particular book 
ilm nafi' that after reading it, it's going to get me closer to Allah. It's going to do something for my iman. It's going to increase me in my subservience and obedience to Allah. If so, excellent, that is ilm nafi'. But if it is something, hundreds of pages, and you read it all and read it all, 500 pages, 600 pages, and at the end of it all, there was nothing in that for your heart. There was nothing in that for your heart. It was just other affairs and other issues and whatever it might be. It is not ilm nafi' that brought you closer to Allah in any way by knowing this. And that's the other definition of it. Ilm nafi' compared to ilm which harms. The knowledge which is harmful or of no use is the type of knowledge that at the end of it, can you say that this knowledge has now benefited me in some way in your religion? Has it benefited me in my religion to know that, whatever that is? Has it benefited me that I've read this book or I've listened to this YouTube or watched this video? After it, have I benefited from that? Has that, has that done something for my heart? Has that done something for my religion? If it hasn't, then what have you spent your five minutes on watching that video for? What have you spent your hour reading that book for then? Why have you spent an hour reading that article on, online for then? Why have you done that if at the end of it you can't, there's nothing in your heart for that, there's no impact, there's nothing this article does for you in your iman, in your obedience, in your closeness to Allah, then it's getting into the realms of being knowledge that is not beneficial. This is why the messenger used to make dua after Allah commanded him, seek an increase in knowledge. The messenger used to make dua for ilm nafi'ah. The beneficial knowledge. Not just any knowledge. Beneficial knowledge. And notice Allah commanded the messenger to seek an increase in knowledge. If there was something more noble and more virtuous than knowledge, then Allah would have commanded his messenger to make dua for that thing, whatever it is. If there was something more virtuous more noble than knowledge, then in the Qur'an, when that ayah comes, Allah would have mentioned, uh, and say, Oh Allah, increase me in so and so, whatever the other thing is. But there is nothing else. There is nothing else more noble and more virtuous than knowledge. And that's why Allah mentioned that. قُلْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا Oh my Lord, increase me in knowledge. As some of the scholars have said, the greatest rizq a person can be given is the rizq, not of money and food, but the rizq of knowledge. That is the greatest rizq, a sustenance and provisions that a person can be given from all of the affairs. So here, we were saying that this is from the jawami'ul kalim, from the affairs where the messenger mentioned just a few words, but the meanings of those words are tremendous and great. And the other thing with regards to that as well, with beneficial knowledge, is that a person should consider this. In your lifetime, let's imagine now a person lives 90 years. <coughs> you live to the age of 90. Out of 90 years, in every 24 hours you sleep, 
eight hours. Let's say eight hours. A third of every day. Which means out of 90 years, you're asleep for 30 years. You live for 90 years, you're asleep for 30 years of that. You live to the age of 90, 30 years of that is asleep. A third of every day, 8 hours out of 24 every day. A third of your life asleep. So two thirds are left. From the two thirds that are left, everybody has responsibilities, life, work, this, that, the other. At least another third taken away. You have at most a third left. You have at most a third of your day left. And that is a huge amount. Eight hours a day, who can put aside eight hours a day for talab al-ilm? That is a huge amount. But let's say, even if you put aside eight hours a day on seeking knowledge, even if somebody could do that, eight hours a day, and you live to the age of 90, will you encompass in that time all of knowledge? Will you encompass in that time all of Bukhari, every single hadith when you're at the age of 90? You know every single hadith in Bukhari. You know every single hadith in Muslim. You know every single hadith in Sunan Abi Dawood. You know all of Majmu' al-Fatawa of Ibn Taymiyyah, what he wrote in each volume and what he spoke about. You know all of the books of Ibn Qayyim and the different topics and what he spoke about. You know all of the books of the Salaf, the Musnad of Imam Ahmad these days now, 52 volumes. In your lifetime, are you going to encompass all of that knowledge that is out there, the Islamic knowledge? Are you going to encompass it all? No. Impossible. Impossible. Nobody is going to encompass the whole of knowledge. You're going to get a section of it, a portion of it. Because you do not have, literally and physically, you do not have enough time to encompass all of that knowledge. In the 90 years, you sleep a third of every day, another third gone on this, maybe a couple of hours, three hours per day, every day of your life at most. You're never going to encompass all of that knowledge of sunnah, of hadith, of Qur'an even. The Qur'an. How many people maybe get to the age of 90 and never finished memorizing the Qur'an even yet? So now, if that is the case, we have a problem. That the amount of knowledge, Islamic knowledge that exists is far greater than the amount of time you have to be able to encompass it all. There isn't enough time and there's too much knowledge. So you're going to gain as much as you can in this time that you have. But this time is already limited and restricted. Then how could you possibly limit it and restrict it even more by using it on ilm which is not nafi'ah. If you've only got at the most eight hours a day, how can you possibly take another two of that or three of that or four of that away on affairs, whatever those affairs may be, on wasting your time on qila wa qal, on rumors, on gossip, on worldly matters, whatever it is. And then you're going to reduce your eight hours a day down to four hours a day. Even when you had eight hours a day, you were never going to encompass all of the knowledge. What are you going to encompass now that you've reduced it down to four hours a day? 
even less of that knowledge. So when a person starts thinking about affairs, you realize that even if you were to put in all of your time into knowledge, you're not going to grasp it all. So what therefore of the one who doesn't even put all of his time in, only puts a portion of his time into it, and the rest of it on you know, worldly, useless matters and affairs, then you're restricting yourself even more, and limiting yourself even more on the amount of knowledge you can gain. So a person needs to recognize the amount of time available already is not enough for the knowledge that's there. If you start taking more and more and more of that time away into worldly useless matters and gossip and whatever it may be, wasting your time in this dunya, you're leaving yourself even less time to try and encompass that knowledge. A time that even the full amount wasn't enough, now you've left not even the full amount, even less than that. It's like you need a full tank of fuel, a full tank of fuel, and you might just make it, if you're going across Europe, maybe you might just make it to somewhere in France. You get a full tank of fuel here, maybe 500 miles on that, you get somewhere near France. Imagine you need to get to Germany. One tank of fuel from here to Germany, even the best cars, most economical ones, you're going to struggle. Maybe you need to go even further. Poland, Russia, full tank of fuel is going to take you? Impossible. Full tank of fuel isn't going to take you. People in the olden days, they used to drive to Saudi Arabia from here. Even now, some of them still do. Drive to Saudi Arabia to do Hajj Umrah. But one tank, one full tank, is it going to get you all the way to Saudi Arabia? Impossible. So what therefore if a person only fills up half a tank to begin with? What therefore if a person only fills up half a tank in the first place? You're not even going to get to the amount you could have got to with your full tank. At least a full tank might have got you to somewhere near the end of France. Your half a tank, you barely even get to Dover. You're still in the UK yet. So this is like the example. With the amount of time you have, you have to use it all in that beneficial knowledge. That full tank isn't going to get you the full knowledge, but it's going to get you a, a good amount then inshallah ta'ala. You'll get the distance you can get. But if you're only going to start with half a tank in the first place or a quarter of a tank in the first place, you're going to get nowhere near what you could have got with at least a full tank. Even the full tank isn't going to get everything, but you would have got more. So a person needs to think every time you are looking at useless videos, watching useless things, listening to useless things, reading useless things that are not increasing you in your knowledge of your religion. They are not increasing you in your obedience to Allah. They are not increasing you in your iman then that is wasting and taking away from your tank. Taking away from your time that you have limited amount in the first place. And that's why the scholars, when you see them, they did not waste time. The scholars focused on knowledge in their lives completely. And you see those examples of a Sheikh al-Albani. When he got his library refurbished, he said to the architect, the new door that you put on the library, make sure it pushes in. I don't want it to be pulling out. The architect said to him, why? He said, because if you make it pull, every time I go to my library, I'm going to have to stop, then pull the door, then walk in. It takes an extra couple of seconds. But if you make it push, I can just walk, push and go straight in. Save myself a second every time going into the library. This is how they were. This is how the scholars are. They don't waste time on affairs. Many times we used to go, when we visit the scholars, etc. One time I remember one of the mashayikh in Medina, it was Maghrib time, coming up to Maghrib time. 
after Asr. And we went to him and we started asking some questions. He was in the haram. He came into the haram al-Masr al-Nabawi. Started asking him some questions. And after a few minutes he said, if you don't mind, I'd like to excuse myself now. No more questions. Because now is the time for the adhkarul masa'ah. And I need to do them now before it runs out and it gets to Maghrib. I need to do them. So I'm going to have to excuse myself if you don't mind. They don't waste their time. They implement their worship where it is to be implemented. One time I remember we visited a Sheikh Muhammad al-Banna. Rahimahullah ta'ala, he died now. In Mecca. He was in the haram sitting in the mosque. And we went and we saw him. And we spoke to him, gave him salam, started asking some questions. Then after a while he said again, same thing. He said, I'd like to excuse myself if you don't mind. He said, because at my age, he was in his 90s. He said, at my age, this is what he said, at my age, I have one foot in the grave now. And I need to benefit from this time that I have left. So right now, I'm trying to just recite some Quran. Because every letter is 10 rewards. I have one foot in the grave already now. These are my final (coughs) moments. So I want to recite some Qur'an and get 10 rewards for every letter. So if you don't mind, I need to excuse myself. No more questions and those things. And then he continued reciting the Qur'an. This is the scholars. Whereas the people, mashallah, sitting around, relaxing, talking, joking, pizzas, wasting their time, two, three hours, four hours, five hours. Time goes and nobody cares. But this is how the scholars they are. This is how a person should be. This is how the student of knowledge should be. And you learn that from the scholars. You learn that from their etiquettes. Read the biographies of the Salaf and then go and see the scholars today. See how they behave. Go and see a Sheikh Al-Fawzan in Al-Riyadh. See how he behaves when he comes to the mosque and leaves his mosque. You can go see him there. Go and see a Sheikh Abdul Mahsan Al-Abbad. See him at the mosque. He comes and goes at the university. See how they behave, how they act. When you see the scholars and their etiquettes and their behavior... That is something you do not see outside of the scholars. You're not going to see that outside of the scholars. Yes, you could have a student of knowledge, mashallah, but he's not a scholar. When you go to the scholars and you look at them, the warathatul anbiya, the inheritors of the prophets, that's when you see the reality. That's when you see what your targets are and what you should be trying to aim for. The scholars are of a level of knowledge that they implement and then practice. And you see that, and you benefit from that. So it is highly encouraged for everyone to go, when you go on Umrah, Hajj, visit the scholars, visit the Mashaykh of Al-Madinah, the senior scholars, the students of knowledge there, the senior students, visit them and see them and benefit from their etiquettes and manners and knowledge. And that is something which is required for everybody to do. It is required for the student of knowledge it is something you should focus on and make a goal that you want to go see the scholars. You want to visit the scholars. You want to see them, sit with them, listen to them. That should be a goal for every student of knowledge. Do not become comfortable here. Do not become comfortable. We have classes, we have lessons. Alhamdulillah, we have all of that. But we don't have scholars. You want to see the scholars, you want to see them, you want to sit with them, you want to listen to them, benefit from their etiquettes then you need to go see the scholars whilst they are still available and alive to see. Now a Sheikh Rabi'ah in his 90s, a Sheikh Abdul Mahsan Abad in his 90s, a Sheikh Ali Nasr in his 90s. Many scholars now, very old in age. Recently a Sheikh Ubaid passed away. 
Sheikh Al-Hidan, others, many scholars, they passed away. It's very important to make that goal and have that objective of visiting and seeing the scholars. So, here the point was, the Prophet ﷺ was given Jawami'ul Kalim. He was given the comprehensive speech, small words with great meanings behind them. And then at the end it mentions, or, and the Sheikh mentions, <coughs> قَالَ بَعْضُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ عَلَّمَهُمْ أَنْ يُفْرِدُوهُ صلى الله عليه وسلم بالذكر لشرفه ومزيد حقه عليهم ثم علمهم أن يخصصوا أنفسهم أولا So the scholars they said that the messenger taught them to mention him individually for his nobility and the greater right that he has and then he taught them that you specify yourself so you say, As-salamu alayka ayyuhan nabi, then As-salamu alayna, yourself. Then after that, ala ibadillahi salihin. Then all of the other believers. So you make that dua for the messenger specifically, then yourself specifically, then for all of the righteous believers. And then at the end, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh. Fihi shahada. لله تبارك وتعالى بالوحدانية ولنبيه صلى الله عليه وسلم بالعبودية والرسالة فهو صلوات الله وسلام عليه عبد لا يعبد بل رسول يطاع ويتبع So in this statement that you bear testimony none has the right to be worshipped except Allah and that Muhammad is the, the servant and messenger of Allah within that you are affirming the, the, the oneness of Allah and that your worship is to Allah alone and you're affirming that the messenger is not to be worshipped, he is a servant and a messenger of Allah to be followed, not to be worshipped. ثم إن المسلم يشرع له بعد تشهد يصلي على النبي الكريم صلى الله عليه وسلم بالصلاة الإبراهيمية الثابتة عنه. And then of course you know after saying التحيات لله you do the الصلاة الإبراهيمية اللهم صل على النبي that section that follows on from التحيات لله. Uh, so there are narrations about that part as well. In this hadith that's mentioned next in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, the wording, the section that gets to the wording, it is, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad, kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim, innaka hamidun majid. Allahumma barik ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammadin, kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim, innaka hamidun majid. That is obviously the wording mentioned. And there are some other wordings as well. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa azwajihi wa dhurriyatihi. Kama sallayta ala ali Ibrahim wa barik ala Muhammadin wa azwajihi wa dhurriyatihi. Kama barakta ala ali Ibrahim innaka hamidun majid. That is another wording that's mentioned. That oh Allah send your prayers upon Muhammad and his wives and his uh, lineage, his offspring. Just as you did with Ibrahim. Uh, so this then, As-salatu ala al-Nabi, sallallahu alayhi wa min Allahi thana'uhu alayhi, fil mala'i al-a'la. When you say, Allahumma salli ala al-Nabi, oh Allah send your prayers upon the messenger, what that means is that Allah uh, praises, or the praise of Allah upon the messenger occurs in the heavens. 
the praise of Allah upon the Messenger in the heavens. And that the angels and the believers, they send their prayers upon the Messenger. So that is what you are seeking when you say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. And Allahumma barik ala Muhammad. Baraka is blessings to give an increase in affairs. And nama was ziyada. To seek blessings and to seek an increase in your affairs. ثُمَّ إِنَّ الْمُسْلِمَ لَهُ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ أَنْ يَتَخَيَّرَ مِنَ الدُّعَاءِ عَجَبُهُ إِلَيْهِ أَعْجَبَهُ إِلَيْهِ فَيَدْعُو بِهِ إِلَىٰ أَنْ يُسَلِّمْ وَقَدْ ثَبَتَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فِي هَذَا الْمَوْضِعِ أَنْوَاعٌ مِنَ الْأَدْعِيَةِ سَيَكُونُ الْحَدِيثُ الْآتِي عَنْهَا إِنْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ So then after you've done that as well At-tahiyyatu lillah and then Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم then after that there is of course the supplication you can make which is Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min adhab al-qabr the four parts of the supplication and then after that you can make your personal dua it is a time where your personal dua can then be made and that is what the shaykh is going to discuss in the chapters that are coming up regarding personal dua that you can make at the end and the dua of the four things that you seek refuge uh, from so that's what we'll start with next week, inshallah ta'ala. At the same time, 8.30 p.m. We'll stop on that for today.